Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another week has passed, another episode of Least Talk Forever, and another episode without Kyle. It's just me and Scott here on the podcast with you tonight. We got an uh, action-packed week that was just, uh, sorry, that just happened with the Leafs dropping, what, four or five? I uh, know they dropped three or four. Three or four, sorry. Uh, so we're going to get all of that uh, to you, plus lineup news. All of the fun stuff. This episode is called Trending Downward. We're in a partnership with the Hockey Podcast Network. Check them out on Twitter. Check them out on Instagram. Check them out on Facebook. Check out their Facebook because they got some cool lives. And check out their YouTube because they have streaming parties. Scott, without further ado, we're going to send it over to you. What do you want to talk about? All right. For the news. Uh, so this week that just passed um there isn't really that big of news it's more like just generalized topics that we thought would be interesting to go over uh so to start with we have pontus holmberg got called up uh and wayne simmons got sent down which i thought was interesting uh, mostly because there's been the way the lease have been playing anyway there's been clamoring for them to keep simmons in the lineup uh to keep with that grittiness that physicality uh if, if uh, or when Austin Reese and Albie Cubella are in the lineup anyway, uh, add that that protection, I guess, and especially after last night's game with the connect the Matthews thing, I, I feel like it's it's kind of warranted a little bit more than it was towards the beginning of the season or more towards the beginning of the season. Um, and then because of that, Holmberg was slotted on the third line, which means that Nick Robertson uh, was a healthy scratch. I'm not sure why on that either because I th- thought he's been playing well in the role he's been given. The first game he played, he got two goals, and then he was moved to a line with Malgin and Robertson, I'm pretty sure, or Nylander and Robertson, or sorry, Nylander and Malgin, uh, which I thought that line played pretty well in the game that they were together. Uh, and then that was quickly broken up because they continued the shuffling of the lines to try to make sure something was working because they were kind of in a downward spiral there. And because of those reshufflings, Justin Hall, you know our feelings on Justin Hall. If you listen more often than uh, than the average viewer, uh, he was moved to the top pair to play with TJ Brody, along with those shufflings, uh, which caused uh, Morgan Riley to fall to the second pair to play with Sandine and then Victor Mete. 
And then in those shufflings, there's been a continued rotation in the bottom six with Abe Kubel and Austin Reese and Malgin and Simmons and now Holmberg being shuffled in. So I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on those, Spencer. They all kind of intertwine there, mostly just around the shuffling of the lineup and who gets to play and who doesn't get to play. Um, two things. My first thought on this is Nick Robertson needs to play. You know what's going to happen to Nick Robertson if he doesn't play and he gets sent down? A trade. You know what's going to happen then? Then he's going to turn out to be Mason Marshman. So put the guy in the damn lineup and let him play. The only reason he's out is because the novelty wore off because apparently he's not doing things on both sides of the puck. So You know who else isn't doing things on both sides of the puck that needs to sit but isn't? Pierre Engvall. Yeah, I agree. I can agree in, more. In the two games or three games that – three games? Four games that Nick Robertson played, uh, he's done more, more in those four games than Pierre Engvall has done in the eight games he's played. Yet somehow Pierre Engvall is still being put in the lineup, third line, fourth line, uh, shuffled around during the game. And Nick Robertson, who already at this point has more goals than Pierre Engvall, uh, is a healthy scratch for reasons that I'm not really sure why. Yeah, and, and this goes to the other point, which kind of coincides with Nick Robertson and Engvall, is Abe Kubel is out of the lineup because Sheldon Keefe said that he needs to quote-unquote work on aspects of his game. You were brought here to do forechecking, to check, to play defensive style, to cycle the puck, to break up cycles. That's what he did. He played third-line minutes in Colorado. Who? How long ago did Colorado play? Oh, I think they played, uh, what, six months ago? And Toronto played, what, eight months ago last? Like, last season. So I just can't understand why Sheldon Keefe is so critical of Abe Kubel when he's the only one on the team with recent post-2010 Stanley Cup championship experience. I just can't understand. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You're ripping on this guy for what reason? Because he's not, quote-unquote, showing up? He's doing his job. He had 19 hits in three games. How many hits does a leading player on the lease have right now? Who is it, Austin Matthews? Like, there's a reason why Austin Matthews should be scoring and not checking, and there's a reason why you brought in Abe Kubel, and that's to check, to do the things that he's been doing. Apparently, they want him to jump on more opportunities on the puck, too. Like, Abe Kubel, Mulgan, uh, who else? Uh, I guess Pierre Ingvall could be put into that. Yarngrove, they're not Mitch Marners. They're not Austin Matthews. Put them in a role, let them play those games, put them in the lineup, and let them get chemistry with each other. Because as Scott pointed out, there's so many lineup changes. Yeah. And like you know, go even going even going into the season, like that's all the hype was about. When when they got Abe Kubel and then they, they got Austin Reese on the PTO, it was like these are the replacements for Simmons and Clifford because collectively they had more hits than Simmons and Clifford. You brought them in to be the physicality. You brought them in to be the the gritty digging line who doesn't score but can hem the other team in their own end. And when they're not hemmed in, can play defensive style like you mentioned. So why all of a sudden, three games into the season when Aubrey Kubel has one shot and you're like, yeah, you need to shoot more, you need to score, you need to become more offensive-minded or else you're not going to be in the lineup. Like That's not what you brought them into the team to do. You have a top six of... I mean, I guess maybe five, depending on who else is in that top six. If it's Robertson, I'd say top six. If it's Kerfoot, I'd say top five. Who are 
offensive powerhouses. Like Bunting was a surprise last year with 60 points, and he already has, what, seven, eight this year? Matthews is the reigning MVP uh, Rocket Richard Trophy winner. Tavares is a perennial 80, 90-point player. Nylander's a perennial 70-point player, and Mitch Marner's a perennial 100-point player. You don't need Nicholas Abe Kubel to go out there and put up 70 points or 50 points. Like, last year, Pierre Engvall had, what, 21 points? And he played a whole, almost the full season. So why then, after three games, is Nicholas Abe Kubel, who isn't an offensive player whatsoever, getting put in the doghouse for not putting up points when at the same time he had the same amount of points as Cal Yarncroke, Pierre Engvall, uh, Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's funny. Every podcast I listen to has some kind of, usually this is how it is. Usually every podcast I listen to has some kind of um, former NHL player that is kind of on the lower end of talent. Today I was listening to the radio and uh, old leaf Christopher Stieg was on and he mentioned something that he thought was a little bit interesting about Sheldon Keith's coaching strategy. And that is that if you look at Kyle Clifford, Kyle Clifford got suspended after game one of the playoffs last year. He didn't play again till what game? What was it? Five of the season. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean like, I mean like he didn't, he barely played in the preseason he didn't have any yeah. chance of making the team. Okay. Then when the coach needs him to play because they're playing Winnipeg and he doesn't want to see him get pushed around, it's here, Kyle. I'm going to forget that I had a grudge and I'm going to put you in the lineup. Same thing that I did to Mitch Marner. Same thing that he's doing to Abe Kubel, which other notable grinders have pointed out, including Nick Kiparos, that that type of role is hard to play in because when you're in the doghouse, you're not going to get back in the lineup if someone plays well until that person plays well. So in a sense, you're hoping that the person who replaces you in the lineup is playing bad. So Abe yeah. Kubel gets replaced by Wayne Simmons, and then Abe Kubel internally is thinking, damn, I want him to play bad so that I can come in the lineup. How is that good? How are you not letting guys get chemistry with each other? Like, you're switching out every game, so then as a building what? It's not building an internal competition. I don't think. Me neither. I think that's like, bad for the morale. Like I, I get that point, but normally when that happens, there's a valid reason of why that guy isn't in the lineup. Yeah, exactly. Like the exactly. the reason like, that Sheldon Keith gave, the, the the reason that Sheldon Keith gave, sorry, doesn't make any sense. We need you to work on other aspects of your game that you're not showing us. Like that's not what you brought him in to do. You literally brought him in to do one thing: hit. He's your fourth line gritty. Like he he's a power forward. Like he doesn't need to go out there and put up 40, 50, 60 plus points. And in three games to say that he's not showing up when all but two players on your team weren't showing up, that, like that baffles my mind. Like Justin Hall has been playing like crap and he got promoted. Willie Nylander, who besides the last game, two, three games maybe, was arguably the best player the Leafs had was demoted to the third line and played 14 minutes. Meanwhile, Pierre Engvall, who has one goal and literally done nothing else, is playing, what, 11, 12 minutes a game when he should be sitting in the press box? Like it, it just the, the moves that Sheldon Keefe has been making 
and the reasons behind making those moves is just baffling. Yeah, I, uh, I'm 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 just confused on on what let's let's call a space bait here. He, he's doing it trying to save his job. Yeah, at this okay, point, but they haven't been, to, they, to, besides last game, they haven't been working. Well, no, I know, there's, but there's I mean, no, in his mind, he probably thinks like the more he changes up the lineup, eventually one's going to click. Well, yeah, like even go back to the Winnipeg game. Like there was no moment in that game where both Simmons and Clifford needed to be in it. There was no overly physical, gritty, fighting aspects of the game. So what? Like I get going into the game, you didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, but but to have both of them in and then have Austin Reese and Abe Kubel sitting out when both of those guys do arguably a better job at playing Clifford's game than Clifford does at this point in his career. You could have just put Simmons in. Like the, 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 the moves that he's making to try to save his job, the, the, the lineup changes, the shuffling, the moving players up, moving players down, his favorites still being in the lineup, it's just, it's just baffling me as to why, why any of that is happening. And that's, uh, in a nutshell, what me and Scott have been talking about, along with Kyle in the group chat, for the better part of a week. Because every game, it's a surprise on who's going to be in the lineup. And also, the antics of the 23 skaters that he dressed against Anaheim in the warm-up. Like, like what kind of BS is that? Like, that's humiliating. People oh, yeah, actually, other people, like other fan bases, other fan bases podcasts, other podcasts based in America, those reporters were making fun of the Leafs for that. Is is that the game where he told the before the game that he he made lineup changes, but he wasn't going to reveal them until the game started? Yeah, against Anaheim, and he and, dressed all. Okay, I, did, I didn't know if that was Anaheim or or LA. Yeah, but and I, then I feel like that was just a a move by him because he knew that if if he put out the the lineup before the game, like a good portion before the game, then people would have been ripping him to no hell because that's the game that Justin Hall got moved up to the top pair. Yeah, but it's like you dress three skaters. You got guys to get ready who weren't knowingly not in the game to get ready because the team knows the lineup. So then they go out there. Zach Aston Reese goes out there. I don't even know if he played in that game, but let's just say he didn't. Gets dressed, skates for 15 minutes in pregame warm-up just to sit down because your coach is trying to put on a, like, what, a, a mysterious scare tactic? It didn't work. It reminds me of something like Roger Nielsen would have Or Roger Nielsen? No, um, what's the guy's name? Harold Her- Her- the- Her- Bauer. Yeah, with Roger Nielsen and putting the paper bag on his head so no one knew it was him. Yeah, it's just like, like that's just almost as bare and as an embarrassing, or as a bear as wow, almost as embarrassing. Sorry, as the um, the we got respect in the handshake line comment from Tampa Bay when they got beat out. Those things do not matter. You dressing twenty three forwards or twenty three players to try and pick your lineup. You already knew the players already knew that's embarrassing. People yeah. around the NHL were making fun of your of your tactics of the team. Like, what are you doing? I just I'm baffled. Yeah. I'm truly baffled on the decisions he's making. And I, I, I don't know. Like I, I made this comparison to you. I don't remember if I mentioned it last podcast or not, but I mentioned it to you off podcast. Is that the way that this is going? It kind of reminds me of. Um, Charlie Montoyo with the Blue Jays, like he oh, took yeah. over from, I mean, took over from John Gibbons in the Blue Jays case, but a, a a coach that people were interested in keeping around for most of his 
time. And then once he left, they wanted him back. Uh, like a, a pretty much a fan favorite coach. And then he took over a team that was trending in the right direction. In the case of the Leafs, anybody could have coached when you had the players that they have. Uh, and then it seems, yeah, it just seems like this past season with the Blue Jays and this season with the Leafs. And I guess you could argue earlier in the last season with the Leafs too. It just seems like he he's kind of not necessarily proving that he doesn't know what he's doing, but it's proving that he's not necessarily the coach everybody thought he was. Yeah. And I th- I think there there needs to be a change at some point if this continues because it's kind of getting pathetic. And I'm just going to say this because a lot of people seem to uh, neglect this point. Sheldon Keefe is a good coach. Like, I'll give him that. However, there is aspects of his coaching that I don't agree with, that most people don't agree with, whatever. However, moral of the story is he came into a situation where the players were basically, I'd say, emotionally beaten, um, beaten down based on how Mike Babcock coaches. They were, they were worn out. They were tired. They were mentally exhausted, whatever. He was a fun, chill guy to be around. You know, made jokes, was put the music on in the practices or whatever. Now he's resorting backwards. He's resorting to that guy that it doesn't seem did you watch that clip when he was yelling basically at the team on the bench and pointing out Mitch Marner? Yeah, that's when Marner got bent. Yeah, but did you see that clip? Did you watch the whole yeah. clip? Yeah. So you saw Nylander? Oh, he wasn't, wasn't paying attention. attention. He wasn't Nylander was literally leaning against the boards with his head looking at the ice and then turned around and was just looking at the fans on the other side of the ring. His back was towards Sheldon Keefe. Austin Matthews wasn't paying attention. Mitch Marner is probably only paying attention because his name got called. And John Tavares was doing that eye squinting thing, like, please shut your fucking mouth because no one wants to hear you anymore. Like, I understand that these guys are saying, oh, we're supporting Keefe or this, that, the other. It's like, maybe these guys are actually frustrated or actually tired. And it's not the same comparison as the Vancouver situation. Everyone keeps saying, well, that's two coaches for Toronto. That's two coaches for Vancouver. The difference is when Travis Green took over for Vancouver, they went to what? The conference finals in the bubble? They were supposed to be, they weren't supposed to be that good. They were that good. Like they turned out to be that good. Every year after that, they played down to uh what everyone's expectations were. When Mike Babcock took over this team, the expectation was they were gonna get Matthews and they were gonna be like the greatest team in the in the league, the best team in the league. And now we've had what, six first round exits? It's it's to me it's like it's not the same. Those two things don't correlate. And I got into a little discussion on some with some guy on Twitter when I said changes need to be had, and he said this is the same thing. I don't feel that way. This is the same thing that happened last year. Is that acceptable? Like I don't understand why that's an option. I was like, no, the players look disengaged. It just feels different to me. You know why it feels different? Because it was another first round exit. Yeah, but it it is different though. Like there, there was a, at no point in last year's slow start did it ever seem like Toronto didn't want to play. Like maybe a couple shifts or maybe a game here and there, but when they started whatever they started the previous season and they had the slow start, like nobody, like most of the fan base wasn't panicking. They just chalked it up to a slow start and the team would turn things around. This year, however, it seems like the team is actually not playing well. Like there's actually a reason to panic because the team is is playing like crap. Yeah. Last last year's slow start, barring the plays here and there, like Toronto was competing with the other teams. They were just coming up short in the at the end of the games. But this season, for most of the games, they've looked like they didn't even care. 
like the game against Arizona, the game against Vegas, the game against San Jose, the game against LA, that blown lead against Anaheim. For almost two-thirds of the game, they looked like they didn't even want to be on the ice. They, the other team was just walking all over them. You can't say it's similar to last season because it's not. That didn't happen last season until maybe some parts of the playoffs. But but like like the, the first however many games it was, eight games last year, where people are like, oh, it's almost identical, same stats, whatever. Yeah, the, the stats may be similar, but the feeling and the, the panic and the way the players are, are engaged in the game is two completely different situations. That that's that's exactly what I was getting at. Was it is different, and the other reason why I think it is so different, and I can't trust this enough about Leafs fans because it drives me up the damn wall. What every year that Toronto's had a first round exit, what's what's the first thing they say? Changes need to be made. Get rid of Tavares. Get rid of Marner. Trade Matthews. Trade Nylander. This team needs teams to. This team needs to rebuild. This team needs to blow it up. No excuses. This is not the same. Every year is not the same. Blah, 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 blah. Then they start slow on a year where basically jobs are on the line. Like if Toronto blows this thing up after this year, if Dubas and Keith get fired, it's not just going to be Dubas and Keith. There's probably going to be a, a, a bigger trade, a blockbuster trade that's going to change the outlook of this team. And it's, I'm not saying it's Matthews. It could be Marner. It could be Muzzin or um, Nylander. It could be DeVars. could be Riley, whomever. But there's going to be a shakeup. The next GM is not going to come in and say, I'm going to be the GM. Here's your coach. Here's all the same players that you had. Like Toronto didn't do anything last year. They signed Yarncrog. They signed Ashton Reese. They signed Abe Kubel. They signed Victor Mente. They signed depth pieces and expected the same outcome. What's the definition of insanity? Because that's where we're going. But then everyone at the start of the year, when people who watch the Leafs, who actually like the Leafs, who have, who have gone through all the shitty years as being a Leafs fan, say, Things need to change because I'm not even interested in this anymore. Then the people who are quote-unquote hockey experts on Twitter say, no, it's the same as last year. That's not acceptable. That's not an excuse. That's not a reason as to why I shouldn't panic or why I'm not interested. Because last year proved that their slow start also came to be the slow start in the playoffs or mediocre slow start, which ended up being a first-round exit. So now what? If we have a slow start that doesn't get caught, what is going to happen? Are they even going to make the playoffs? Because there's a chance that they might. There's a chance that they might not, sorry. There's a chance that they might have another first-round exit. Like, I just don't understand how that's an acceptable answer from Leafs fans who are just constantly bitching and badging or battering or whatever the word I'm trying to think of on Kyle Dubas about how he needs to step it up, but then they're giving the same excuse because they don't want to admit that there's panic. I just don't understand how that works. I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, just to go back to the one point you made, like, on, I guess, on paper, I guess is the key term because that doesn't always translate to on ice. But on paper, this team that's assembled this year, I think, is better than last year's team. Like, we lost, who did we lose? Kasha and Mikheyev and Spezza, really, on forward. And we replaced them, none of them scoring over 30 points, with Yarn Croak, Austin Reese, and Aubrey Gubel. None of them probably scoring over 30 points. Maybe Yarncroke potentially gets there, depending I on who he's McKayev playing. I think Mikheyev has a chance teams. to score over 30 points. Yeah, but he didn't with the Leafs is what I meant. Yeah, he did. Didn't he score 30 points last year? Didn't he have like 21 I, goals last year? I thought he scored like in like just over 20 last year. Oh, maybe he did. Anyways, continue the point. 
but like on paper, this team I think was better than last year's team. It's just the on ice stuff that is messing everything up. They 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 just don't look interested in in playing. Like barring last night's game, I guess, and maybe the game, the first game where they, I guess they did blow the lead in Montreal, but the first game of the season, and then that game against Winnipeg, like every other game they've played, they just have not looked interested in playing. They've gone stretches or most of the game where they just played like crap and the other team took advantage of it. And you could say like, yeah, that happened last year, which to me it didn't. But like this team, I think if they were playing up to their ability, is better than last year's team. Yeah, and again, the point I I can't seem to wrap my head around that, or I can't seem to figure out why people can't wrap their head around is Mitch Marner twenty five, Austin Matthews twenty four, Nylander twenty, going to be twenty seven. This isn't the same team that's two years ago or two three years ago that people can say, oh, don't worry, or oh, it's going to be okay. It's the same thing that happened last year. Like Mitch or Austin Matthews is one one calendar year away from potentially walking away. Like he could not re-sign this whole next year and then he's gone. And then every single one of those people that are saying, Oh, don't worry about it. It's just a slow start. Why? I just, I, I, I was actually confused on why this guy commented on the post saying that it just made no sense to me. And then I said, the team seems disengaged. He went on. I think he just liked it. But then I think at one point he replied something along the lines of basically, yeah, like, um, whatever he said, it's the same as last year, blah, blah, blah. They look disengaged. Yeah, the team looked disengaged because Matthews was pissed off at Justin Hall last year when he yelled at Justin Hall. This year, it's like Matthews is fanning on, on, on one-timers. Marner's turning over 18 pucks a game. I just like, There's things to panic about, in my opinion. Like, truthfully, things to panic about. Truthfully, not even as a, a regular Leafs fan, just as a, a hockey fan, I would be panicking if I was a Leafs fan. It just seems like a time to panic because of the things that have been happening. Also, another thing that I want to point out to you, Scott, because this really pissed me off, and I heard the other day when I was walking out with Tim Hortons. Had my headphones on, walking out with my tea, okay? Listen to 32 Thoughts of the Podcast. And our good buddy, Jeff Merrick, says what? Um, probably something dumb. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. He said there's 3 million people... That are apparently there's three million people that are Leafs fans in the city of Toronto, and there's six million Leafs fans in the GTA. Okay, then he went on to say, "What are those six million Leafs fans or GM or Leaf fan GMs or whatever word he used uh, thinking right now?" There's more than six million Leaf fans. Yeah, but not in the GTA because that's the population of the GTA. I know. I know that. I get it. But it's like, don't just, this isn't Columbus. This isn't Washington. This is the Toronto Maple Leafs. I hate when people say only the people from the GTA matter. For those who don't know, the GTA is the greater Toronto area. It's all the communities and cities around Toronto in this big, basically, circle. Anyways, that irritates me because we're not from the GTA and we like the Leafs and we're, we could be actually some people I think that moved to Toronto, become a Leafs fan because they live in that city. Like there's diehard Leafs fans in freaking England and France and New Zealand. We have listeners from New Zealand that listen to this podcast that I'm going to assume are probably Leafs fans. But then the, the nerve of someone to say, what are those 6 million Leafs fans? I understand the, 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 the pun of it or whatever, like 6 million population, whatever. 
but that irritates me because like it just make it just makes it seem like there's there's such a small panic like six million people is obviously big but you understand what i mean it's like it, it appears yeah. as though they don't realize that the whole province almost is all almost i'd say probably 90 percent of the province is from Maple Leafs fans and then a good portion of canadian uh citizens or or people who live in canada as well as people who live in america go to an arizona game go to a florida game like i just don't understand why people say that and it irritates me to no end because it's like my opinion might be actually more valid or i might be a bigger lease fan from uh, a small little town an hour and a half south or north of toronto same as you as someone who lives right beside the arena and that's that that actually pissed me off I was like, why would you – you should have edited that on the podcast, Yeah, in my like, opinion. It is, an, it is annoying, irritating when people do they say that. And I don't like Jeff Merritt. I've said that for years. I think he's he's annoying to me. He, I think he kind of just hopped on Elliot Friedman and then became a bigger name because of it. But in that instance, I don't think he was saying that only people who live in the GTA are least fans. I think he was just speaking directly to the GTA. Because that's where he was based out of. That's where he most of his viewers come from is the GTA. So I don't think he was necessarily insulting the rest of the Leafs fans. I think he was just talking to the GTA because that's where he is. Is that's where he is, right? It's like people from the Rangers. The Rangers have fans all over the the continent, Canada, U.S. But when you listen to podcasts, or you listen to news and stuff, they don't. They only ever really mention New York. Yeah, that's true. I don't necessarily think, and it, I could be wrong. He could have just been been poking fun at how only people who live in the GTA are Leafs fans or whatever. Which, if he did, that's completely uh, idiotic because they have the biggest fan base in the league. But in, in to me, it just seems like he was just talking to who he knew would have been listening, and that's people in the GTA because that's his biggest fan base because that's where he is. Either way, still a dumb comment, and. Uh... But- that stuff just before, just before we go to the ad break here, I just want to point out one thing, and I think I may be in the minority here, but I chalk the slow start, and this may be after you have kind of ripped on people for saying it, yada yada yada, but I I blame the slow start on Sheldon Keith, and you could argue against it, you could argue for it, whatever, but. It just seems like the, the, the decisions he's made on who to put in the lineup and when to put them in the lineup and why he's taking people out, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, and in-game decisions he's made where he doesn't – like if you're down a goal with 10 minutes left, he never double shifts Matthews. He never double shifts Tavares. He continues the four-line cycle with three minutes left, friggin' Simmons, Clifford, and Campop over the boards when you're down a goal. And if, if that was Edmonton, if that was Pittsburgh, if that was Washington, if that was L.A. in their prime with Kopitar, like the last two and a half minutes, McDavid's hopping over the boards, Crosby's hopping over the boards, Ovechkin's hopping over the boards. The last 10 minutes, those top guys are playing six, six and a half, maybe seven minutes of that to try to get that goal. If they have to play 27 minutes a game, then that's what they had to do. And it's always annoyed me that Sheldon Keefe never does that. There's times where Matthews plays more than everybody else, but if they're down a goal with 10 minutes left, he just continues the traditional routine he has where Matthews line comes out, Tavares lines come out, then another line comes out. 
they get an offensive zone faceoff, then Matthews comes back out. But if they get a defensive zone faceoff, then David Camp for the line comes back out. Like if you're down a goal with five minutes left, ten minutes left, you should be you should be double shifting your star players because they're the ones who are going to get you the goal. You pay them the big money to do that. Put them in situations where they can do that. The defense is a whole nother story. He seems to have bias, and we pointed this out. I don't remember if it was on podcast or off podcast, but he seems to have bias towards players that he coached in the Tron Marlies. There's no reason Justin Hall should be yeah. playing 21 minutes a game. He's your third-line defense pair. On any other team in the league, he probably isn't even that. Like, he's been playing like crap this year. I mean, you aren't fans of him. We've pointed that out since the moment he came to the Leafs. There has been stretches where he's played well. I'll give him that. Last night, apparently, we were busy, so we didn't necessarily watch the full game, but apparently he played well last night. But the previous seven games before that, he played like crap. There's no reason he should he should even have been in the lineup for three of those games. Like, in the game against, who was it, L.A., where he took the two penalties that they scored on, and then he was on the ice for the other two goals. Like, if that was any other player on the team, if that was Nick Robertson, he would have got sent back down to the minors. Yep. If that was Dennis Mulgan, he would have got benched. Yep. Same as Pierre Ingvall. One goal. You pay this guy one, one and a half? Is that what his salary is? No, 2.25. 2.25. And he has one goal in the first nine games. And I get that he, he's not a point producer at yeah, but he's he's supposed he, to be. But yeah, he's supposed he to be the replacement of Kev. Yeah. But like to have one goal in the first nine games and you're still getting ice time. Dennis Morgan has two goals in the four games he's played in. And he's been benched for five games. Yep. I actually don't know if those are the right numbers. The goals is, but like, Yeah, I, I think I think he has been, been benched five for five games. games. Uh Nick Robertson had two goals in his first game. Two games later he's on the he's on the he's in the press box because he's not putting he, up points. He literally helped Sheldon Keefe calm the fire in that game. Because if they oh, yeah. would have lost that game against Dallas and then went on to this Western Road Spring, he probably would have been canned. Like it just the decisions that Sheldon Keefe is making this year, it just doesn't make any sense whether it's who's in the lineup at a certain time and why they're in the lineup or even just on ice decisions. It just doesn't make any sense to me as to why those decisions are made. And I think that that plays a big hand in why the team's getting off to a slow start. And I think the team sees it. I think Matthews knows that he should be playing 25 minutes a game. He's the reigning MVP. I think Mitch Marner knows that he should be playing 20, 23 minutes a game. John Tavares knows he should be playing 18 to 22 minutes a game. Nylander knows he should be playing them more than 14 minutes a game. Arguably the best player in the season up to that point. Morgan Riley, although I don't think he's a traditional number one, is our number one defenseman. He should be playing 24, 25 minutes a game. But instead you have everybody's ice time decreasing. Matthew's playing, what, 21, if that, sometimes 19. Nylander, that one game, like I mentioned, playing 14, so that Justin Hall and Pierre Engvall and whoever else can get more ice time. Like, those guys shouldn't be getting the ice time over your superstar and reigning MVP-style players. There's no no world, besides the one we live in right now, where Justin Hall plays more than TJ Brody. Yeah. And yeah whatever, throw advanced analytics all you want. There's stretches of the games, if not most of the game, where Justin Hall is playing like crap. He has not been good. Barring Philly game and maybe a couple of the games here and there. But I'm going to say six of the nine games they played so far, he's played himself out of a spot on the roster. 
yet somehow he's still in the lineup playing 18 to 20 minutes a game for no reason other than Sheldon Keefe likes him because he coached him in the Marlies. So I just think that everybody's blaming the players. I get the Sheldon Keefe fire, Sheldon Keefe fire, Carl Dubas because they don't win in the playoffs, which may be valid this year if they don't win in the playoffs. But I feel like, and even John Tortorella was praising Sheldon Keefe. Why? Yeah, but he here's the reason for that. He coached Sheldon Keefe, and Sheldon Keefe, uh, John Tortorella was the first coach that Sheldon Keefe contacted when he got his, his junior A job. Okay. That may be still. Like, there may be a relationship there. But John Tortorella has to know that the Leafs are playing like crap. That Sheldon Keefe maybe isn't making the best choices. And I get maybe you're not going to go into the media. John Tortorella specifically, I guess, would be the one to do it, which kind of baffled me as he was only singing praise to Sheldon Keefe. Yeah, I think that's only like, because he – and he hates media. Well, yeah, but usually John Tortorella doesn't care what he says. If people have a problem with it, then that's their problem, not his. That's true, yeah. So it just seems like he was kind of downplaying the, the impact that Keefe may be having on the team. And I haven't really been seeing, besides maybe the Twitter fans or other fans, there hasn't really been much talk of how much blame Sheldon Keefe should have for his poor coaching decision so far. Everybody's talking about how a trade needs to happen or Matthews needs to step up or Marner needs to step up or yeah, Brad probably because up. everyone everyone in this world knows that Kyle Dubas is probably not going to fire Sheldon Keefe. Well, yeah, and I get that. But that doesn't mean that you still can't blame him for the slow start. No, like, I agree. I agree. Like, this this team, barring two or three players, is almost the exact same team we had last year. Yep. There's no reason that this team should be playing this bad when it's almost identical to last year's roster. Like, last year... It's a slow start, whatever, but we set the record for most, the best season the Leafs have ever had. Coming into this season, after last year's Tampa loss, their their interest in winning and their confidence and their intrigue in playing should have been at an all-time high. And it just seems like the guys who carried over from last year just don't seem interested in playing anymore. And it just... Oh, well. Everybody's blaming the players. Some people are blaming Dubas. Some people have even put videos on Twitter ripping on Kyle Dubas' grandma. Like, but I, I haven't really seen many people saying, hey, Sheldon Keefe needs to be blamed as much because there's times in the games where he does stupid, he makes stupid decisions. And even last year, you could argue the, the, the playoffs last year too. He was outcoached by Tampa's coach. The, the, some of the decisions he made last year were dumb. That seems to have carried over into this season. And I just haven't seen a lot of people talking about that. How Keith deserves just as much blame for the way the team has started as the players that are being blamed, Kyle Dubas who's being blamed, even the fans who are being blamed for some reason because we put too much pressure on the players. I am. Um, I I sorry. I just think it's uh, the the most interesting uh, thing about that is there's some media members that had going back to the John Torrell point quick story is some media members actually had issue with what John Torrell said. Like, they're like, do you really think it's the media members that are driving, driving Sheldon Keefe out of town? Like, obviously they write the stories, but like, do you think a media member has enough pull in this, in this town to say, you know what I mean? Typically, yeah. historically Toronto has done things based on what fans want. So I, I just thought that just quickly. I, I was actually just going scrolling through Twitter while you're um, 
while you're talking and I saw David Alter and he was one of the people who I know was angry. But anyways, continue with your points. Oh yeah. I was, I just, I just, I feel like Sheldon Keefe isn't as good a coach as everybody is saying he has been mostly because of who's on the team. Like when the team, Austin Matthews is putting up 60 or 60 goals and the team setting records because of who's on the team. Like, yeah, I guess Sheldon Keefe may have had a, a hand in that because he decides who plays when. But when you have pretty much four 100-point players, like, I, I think that's going to overshadow the, the, the poor decisions the coach makes. And when it comes yeah. to the playoffs, that's a whole other story because like he was outcoached by Tampa and then Montreal and then Columbus. and then, Yeah, and Dominic Ducharme, of all people. Yeah, Tampa Bay again and Washington. Actually, I think Babcock was the coach of Washington, but yeah, like people just seem to completely gloss over the fact that he makes stupid. He he doesn't make the best decision, coaching decisions at moments in games, and and this season it's costing the Leafs. I think anyway. Um, sorry, some news came down the pipe. I just want to quickly mention. Um. I don't know if anyone's familiar, but Scott, are you familiar? Sorry, it's a little off topic, but I just thought I want to get it on here. You familiar with the Kyrie Irving anti-Semitic situation? Yeah. Yeah, he just got suspended five, no less than five games. Good. Yeah. Anyways, uh, nice. And then uh, there's the whole, uh, <laughs> there's the whole, um, what's that guy's name? You know, the water and the frog, something in the water that's turning the friggin' frogs gay or whatever he said. Alex Jones. The whole oh, Alex, Alex Jones debacle. You know, he's the guy that's being sued for the Sandy Hook. He said they were all crisis actors. No, I don't. Is he's that like the Trump. He's like the Trump supporter. He does like a podcast where he throws out oh, far right yeah, political. I don't know conspiracy is, but theories, but apparently Kyrie Irving is a, a some of the stuff that he he throws around uh, conspiracy theories. Kyrie Irving is is in support of. Like he said, like they they asked him in the interview. He's like the Sandy Hook stuff. No, but he said that there's other stuff that Alex Jones talks about that he. He agrees with, so it doesn't surprise me at all that he would come out with anti-Semitic remarks and and all the other stuff that he said, like the Earth is flat. Yeah, <laughs> moron. Um, yeah, a whole bunch of morons live in this world, including Sheldy Keith. All right, so um, I'm gonna suggest that we do the ad break, and then we, if it's cool with you, we gotta uh, we're gonna wrap it up. If that's cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, uh, there's not going to be a betting segment, obviously, this week, because Kyle's off. Oh, um, I'll do the betting segment. Bet, uh, for the Leafs to lose against Boston and then win every game for the rest of the year. All right, if you bet that, you could be a millionaire. Um, I guess we're going to go, like, just wanna... 74, 7, and 1. That's my... That's if you quickly want to go through the um, the recap of the games, I know we already touched on a lot of points, so I guess if we just go over the recaps and then... Uh, well, we can do uh, that after the ad break, though, no? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like yeah. ad break, then we'll just go over the recaps. We're trying to keep these podcasts about 55 minutes, I think. Uh, then it takes us to about an hour once we add in all the uh, extra effects. Um, 
So if that's cool with you, we'll get to the ad break now. We'll get to a little recap of the game, uh, games, and then uh, we'll close her off. All righty. Yep. Here she goes. Hockey fans, it's finally time to hit the ice again. And thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you're in for a season of a lifetime. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they win. One team I'm going to place a bet on is the Toronto Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup at plus 700. And if that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger pounds with same game parlays. Combine multi bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot to win even bigger payouts. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your money whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN at $5 on any team to win their game and get $200 in free bets if they do. That code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See notes for details. All right, there you have it. THPN is the is the promo code that you're going to put into DraftKings. You're going to bet some money. Um, you're going to uh, first upload some money or um, deposit some money, and then you're going to throw it to some Leafs games, and you're going to win some big dollars. Uh, Scott, you're going to hit off with the game recap quickly. I just have to excuse myself for about 20 seconds. Okay. Yeah, I'll be so, right back. Recap. Uh, we have October 27th. They played the second second game, third game of their West Coast uh, swing uh, against San Jose where they uh, lost 4-3. Uh, Marner scored his second of the season. Camp scored his third. And Matthews scored his second of the season as well. Uh, it was nice to see both Matthews and Marner contribute offensively, but it was just the continuation of poor play from the Leafs that, that caused them to lose uh, poor play that would continue for the next couple games. Games like October 29th versus LA where they lost 4-2 and October 30th versus Anaheim where they blew a 3-1 lead and lost 4-3. Uh, in those games, Engvall scored his first and only point of the season. Uh, Tavares scored his fourth. Uh, and then Anaheim, Yarncroft scored his second. Malgan scored his second. And Matthews scored his third. Uh, it's nice to see Matthews start to pick things back up here. Because on November 2nd, last night against Philadelphia, where the Leafs won 5-2, uh, he also scored his fourth of the season. Zach Austin-Reese potted his first of the season, and John Tavares stepped up big with a hat trick, who now has seven on the season and 14 points, which I think he leads the, the team in points now. Uh, and Sam Sonoff got his fifth win, which is only solidifying him, I think, as the better goal lead and choice to Matt Murray, because... He's now won five of his first seven games, uh, which I think is kind of shocking, not necessarily overly surprising because everybody thought he was going to take over as the starter at some point in the season anyway. But the fact that the Leafs have been playing so so poorly and he still has five wins is kind of uh, impressive to me. Oh, you're talking about Sammy? Yeah. Yeah, and Sammy we trust. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um... I'm. I've been super impressed by Sam, uh, Samsonov. Yeah, super, super impressed. Me too. 
He he I holds think, his own. Uh, he's composed, and he's becoming a fan favorite. Remember when Mikhaev came here and all he kept talking about was soup? Yeah. All Sam all uh, Samsonov keeps talking about is how after he wins he gets a smile. Oh yeah. So now he's becoming a fan favorite in the media or media favorite because he's fun to interview and apparently he's very emotion like emotionful like when he talks to them after a game he's super happy when he talks to them after a loss he's super depressed so um it'd be interesting to see Matt Murray played two games correct one he only played one yes, and he sir. lost right the the home the Montreal, opener Montreal, yeah. right and he lost it'd be interesting to see what Toronto's record would be and if maybe their play would kind of uh not necessarily reflect the record, but maybe they would have played a little better if Matt Murray was there. No offense to Shogun, but Matt Murray was in the in the goal for the Vegas, the San Jose, and the Anaheim games. Yeah, I I, I mean I I haven't often wondered that myself, but yeah, now that you're thinking that, now that you said like, that, I, I mean, the, obviously the 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 problems they have go farther than just their backup goalie, but if yeah, it, and the Shogun hasn't played bad per se. It's but mostly he's slow been, yeah the other the other aspects of the team that have been poor that have kind of cost him the wins, but it just would have been interesting to see if Matt Murray wouldn't have gotten hurt. Shogren would have still played the same games, but Matt Murray was in instead of or um, Samsonov played the same games, and Matt Murray was in instead of Shogren. Would I agree. they uh, have been in the slide that they were in, or would they kind of have won two of three or one of the three or whatever? I agree with that thought, like that wonder, because Shogren starts slow. Started slow in all three of the games, and Matt Murray, even in preseason and in that first game, started like he started like solid right after the start. So yeah. that could have changed the whole outlook on how things are and going. Like, those issues the Leafs have were clearly noticeable from the first game where they they lost to Montreal. But it's just would would the panic be as high if the Leafs had two more wins and they had only lost three times instead of? Five times, or however many games they've lost. I think they're what five, five, and one, two. Yeah, five, that. four, four, I think five, they play eleven games, four, four two. Yeah, some of that. Um. Yeah, it just would. Would the panic still be there if they had a two more win record than they have now? And the the kind of yeah, the win loss record isn't as noticeable. Would the play still be as highlighted as it is? I think maybe depending, like Matthew slow start the um, the Robertson Mulgan rotational bottom six kind of thing I think would still be talked about but I don't necessarily think the the poor start narrative of that we talked about and everybody else would have been as blown up as it is if, if the record was different even if they were still playing the same way I feel yeah, like the I, record would compensate for those those poor plays and poor performances I I couldn't actually agree more, to be honest. Now that you've said that, I, I think that there could be a real, a real chance that the the temperature would have been turned down. The other thing I think is weird about um, sports is like after they won last night, everyone like most of the, the the fan base just took a deep breath. It was like, ah, oh, we're fine now. We won. Well, yeah, we're not though. <laughs> we're good. Everything's good. Like that's what the Dave was saying in the post game. He's just like. The times are turned down, but once they lose again, it's going to be a it's rap. This, it's the same thing that happened against Winnipeg. Yeah, where they they played like they played poorly going into that game, where against they like they didn't play well Montreal and Ottawa or whatever, and then yeah, they won I mean, against Winnipeg, and everybody's like, "Oh, the Leafs are back," 
And then we've lost four of the last five. Or? Yeah. And that's the only game I'll give it to them. I'll give it to you guys. You, you, they lost two or they won against their one and one. They played poorly against Ottawa, but they still won. And then, yeah, they, they, they scraped on a win against Winnipeg and people are like, oh, okay. Yeah, great. Maybe the two wins in a row or whatever, whatever it was can help them. But then they lost four and then they won one. And they're like, oh, yeah, the, we're good. The problems aren't going to go away because they won. The one boys one. are back. But yeah, you're right. Like they back. played decently well from what I understand. Like as Scott mentioned, we didn't watch the game. We were, we had other comments, but from other, what other people said, including Jamal Maris after the game was, and Sammy Kozantinov or Kozantino, sorry, was when it was three, one in the second period and Philly scored apparently or two, one or whatever it was. And Toronto scored, whatever it was. Um, it appeared that Toronto was going back to their ways against Anaheim. Yeah. When they were only up by one goal. So it's like, are they really gone, or are you just masking the happiness by by a W? Yeah, and like, yeah, the promises aren't going to vanish because they won one game. Although, if Sam Zanoff keeps playing well like this, Matthew seems to be picking it up a bit because that's his third goal in the last four games. Tavares yeah, seems to be picking it up too. I think Tavares seems to be picking it up a lot because that's obviously a hat trick for seven, and he has fourteen points. Yeah, he's got a, a point uh, every game, I think. Nylander's kind of cooled off a bit. Yeah, I mean, but he somehow got and, demoted. Well, yeah, and if Marner can pick it up, like, things are, are seeming to be turning around, but just because they won the one game doesn't mean that the Leafs are back and they're going to start steamrolling all the teams like they did last year. Where they won Saturday will be a test. Or whatever, but, yeah. Saturday, 9-1 yeah, Boston. Boston Bruins, but also next Which week is will be a, a test. Surprise. because Yeah, yeah, but next week they play – four games, including a back-to-back with Pittsburgh and Vancouver. So if they can scrape off two wins at the start of the week, or even including Saturday, of the five games that they have from Saturday to Saturday, if they can scrape off two wins, they should be able to beat Vancouver. Although I think Vancouver is the second half of the back-to-back against Pittsburgh, but they should still be able to beat Vancouver because Vancouver, obviously, as we know, isn't the hottest team in the NHL. Yeah. So we could go three and two this week, which would maybe not be ideal. Maybe four and one would be better. However, it's still better than zero and four on a road trip. So, yeah, or one and, and five. Lilligren's back on Saturday too. Saturday, isn't it? yeah, yeah, and Jamie Ben's not far behind. So that means that Crawl probably gets sent back down. Lilligren will slot in, and Mete will be scrubbed. Yeah, and I would uh, imagine that I would hope that somehow they fit Robinson back in this in here, but I think that yeah. they'll go with the same lineup besides. Probably. Besides Lilligren. To to me, it should be, and I know we've mentioned it a lot this podcast, but um, Engvall should be out. Robertson should take his spot. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing is, uh, quickly before we wrap up here, sorry, um, would you say, like Mete's out, obviously, if, if uh, Lilligren is back, would you put Lilligren with Giordano right away? Because that leaves, like, no. it would probably be, I, in my opinion, I, I mean, probably would. Because it leaves Riley, who's a good two-way defender, I think, both ways. Although he's supposed to be offensively minded, he can he can skate with Hall. Sandine with Brody. So Sandine becomes the elite player, offensive player that he can be. And then Giordano Lilligren can shut it down. Yeah. So if I was the coach, I would do Sandine, or Sandine, Riley. Sandine, Brody, uh, Mete, 
Lilligren Giordano or Giordano Lilligren. But because Sheldon Keefe is a coach, I feel like it'll be Riley or uh, Brody Hall, Riley, Sandine, and then Giordano Lilligren. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, either way, I would put Lilligren with back with Giordano. But it's just who else is slotting the lineup based on my own personal opinion or who I think Sheldon Keefe would be putting in. Yeah. I hope that jo- uh, Jordy Ben's back soon because if Jordy Ben's back, then maybe, maybe, just maybe. Because Sheldon Keefe had mentioned that one of the reasons why they haven't done too much with their lineup, and other media members have kind of alluded to this, the reason why Sheldon Keefe behind closed doors had mentioned that he hasn't done too much with his lineup is because they don't have a lot of uh, depth in that department, whereas they did Ford. So if Jordy Ben comes back and Lillicrum comes back and they've got Mette, that's three defense who can play in the NHL, maybe given Justin Holiday off. Probably not. But they, if they do, it won't be because he poorly played. It will be because he's been utilized so much. I feel like when when Jordy Ben comes back, Victor Mete will be sent down. Lilligren comes back, Philip Crawl will be sent down, and then Jordy Ben will be the extra, and Justin Hall stand the line. Hey, a boy can dream, man. Well, yeah, obviously that's the <laughs> ideal situation is for us, as we would rather have Brody or Jordy Ben in at this point over Justin Hall. But with Charlie yeah. Keefe as the coach, Justin Hall staying in until there comes a point where he absolutely needs to come out, which I feel like already should have happened, but it hasn't. So I feel like the line the, the, the lineup will stay similar. Sandino will move back up with Brody and then Lilligren will slot back in with Giordano just because they played so well together last year. Also, I'm surprised um Philip Crawl got the call up and not um Mac Hollowell. Because I'm pretty sure Mac Holloway Hollowell, sorry, is a right hand defenseman, which they needed. Yeah. Because they were playing Philip I mean, Crawl with Justin Hall, and I'm just like, you basically got two HL defensemen there. Yeah. Like, Philip Crawl didn't play that well in the two games. No, yeah, I agree. But, I agree with that. I just think, like, in actuality, you needed a right-hand shot. Philip Crawl and Matt Hollowell are probably maybe, around the same on the depth chart. Maybe they – I don't know how old Philip Crawl is. I think he's a couple years 23, older than 22. right? And no, I think, I think Matt Hollowell is older. Actually, yeah, Philip Crawl just turned 23, and Matt Hollowell, I think, turned 25. Oh, okay, then never mind. I was going to say maybe they didn't want Hollowell to come up kind of like lose confidence in his game well, because I think it's interesting that in a similar I, situation to Philip Crawl. But I if guess he's older than added this and that doesn't Pardon? make any sense because I said that uh, I thought Hollowell would have been like they didn't call up Hollowell because they didn't want to put him in a situation for him to lose confidence. So they would have kept him in the minors to play. But if Philip Crawl uh, is younger then that doesn't make any sense because I thought that was that was the younger of the two but that year, remember what was it? The bubble year or the Canadian Division League when uh, year when they had the after Christmas start? Yeah, Joe Thornton was on the team, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Mac Hollowell was on the team. He was just the extra defenseman for most of the year, like hmm. a good portion of the year. He even was quarantining with them. Like he quarantined with Matthews, Marner, and Thornton. So it's like I'm curious as to why they don't give him a chance because he's I, I believe I could be wrong. I haven't looked it up. I believe he's right-handed. So if he's right-handed and you could add that right-hand shot, who's only playing eight minutes a game. True. Also, the other thing, before we wrap up here, because this is a vital Just real quick, thing. just real quick. That's the hollow thing. That's true. But if he's going to get called up and then he's going to be sitting out every other game, then that's not really a point of him being called up. No, I agree. I just mean, like, realistically, there's like if he played decent like Philip Krull and he's a right-hand shot, they should have just kept him in the lineup. Well, yeah, but with Lilligan coming back and then not moving on oh, Justin yeah. Hall yeah. and then Sandine playing the right side, I don't no, see yeah, him. I agree with that. Unless Lilligan plays bad, 
here or there. I don't see the extras being really utilized that often, even if it's Mete or Jordy Ben. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I also just quickly hear Cam Jansen listen to Cam Strick podcast. Cam Jansen also mentioned the point that you can't really judge a player like Zach Ashton Reese or Abe Kubel because they talked about the Leafs on there, obviously, and how Cam Cam Strickland thinks that sorry, uh, Andy Strickland thinks that he shall keep his loss of room. And then they talked about kind of what we talked about, how you're putting guys in for one night and then taking them out and put them in and there's no room to get equated with your guys and whatever. And Cam Jensen said, basically, when you're playing a guy six minutes a game, what's the point? Like, what's the difference between having Zach Ash and Reese and Wayne Simmons? Because they're like, you're not giving Zach Ash and Reese a chance. So basically, yeah. I think the message of his of moral of the story is like, he's been there and it's like, you're only playing six minutes. How are you going to judge a guy on six minutes of play? Which is exactly what we've been saying. Yeah, which is I, I mean, like I'm not I'm not expecting them to play Zach Reese twelve minutes or fourteen minutes, but it's like, like the other thing that he had mentioned is like Mitch Marner's one of the best players. They both agree that Mitch Marner's probably one of the best, if not the best, winger in the league. And they're like, you're playing this guy every chance you get, every single chance you get, penalty kill, power play. Uh, extra attacker, four and four, three and three, every chance you get. But then you got guys playing four to five, six minutes a game that you could put out. Like, why couldn't you put Zach Ash and Reese on in a, for a shift for Mitch Marner? I know Mitch Marner is your best penalty killer, but like, could you not put him out there for a shift? And I thought, I was like, damn, that's, I mean, I really like him, Cam Jansen. Like, just his ideology is about the game is kind of interesting because he was that guy that fought and played five minutes a game. But basically, yeah, his, his point is just in line with us. Was like, why are you switching it, flipping out the lineups so much when you're playing a guy four or five minutes, six minutes a game, and he can't really get like equated or or chemistry or like what's that? An average shift in the NHL is like forty seconds, so he's playing what yeah. seven, eight shifts. So. Yeah, I mean, actually, no. They they shift way more than seven or eight shifts. He just that last line plays less less seconds, I think. Yeah. Because you're right, he does shift out the four line system, but I think they they play play a little bit less than forty or fifty seconds, like Matthews does. So, anyway, it's just kind of a cool way to wrap it up because we have been saying things that, like NHL reporters and NHL players have. I mean, it does. We're not rocket scientists. That's not what I'm saying. Just simply, it's it's cool to kind of be reassured with some of the things that we're saying that we're not spewing bullshit like Kyrie Irving is. Um, so with that, Scott, you good? You got anything else to add? Uh, no. Okay, so with that, we will uh, be trying to promote, share, and all that other stuff a little bit differently because we know that our viewership is down and obviously we want it to be up. So... If you can, if you listen, if you're a regular listener, whoever that guy was, if you do listen, who tagged us in that post of Bill William Nylander and Mark Giordano, thank you. Although we didn't necessarily agree with what you said. Thanks for tagging us in it. Uh, share, like, comment, tweet, everything like that. Uh, get it out there to your friends. So then we can do some cool things because we have ideas for giveaways and stuff, but we're not getting any interactions on Twitter. We're not getting any, well, barely any. We're not getting any big amounts of, amounts of viewership like we used to. Um, last season and earlier than the ple- in the preseason and, and the off season. So if we can turn that around, we understand that there is other Leafs talk um, podcasts. We were around first. So uh, we understand that they're under a bigger umbrella, but we are still three Leafs fans who aren't paid 
So give us a listen, share it to your friends, and uh, enjoy. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone.